Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This is Vancouver Province columnist Mike Smith. And I'm Vancouver's son columnist Rob Shaw. It's time to go in the house and go inside BC politics. All right, here we go at the start of a brand new year, 2019. And Rob, it's time to look into your crystal ball. Your crystal ball is looking a little cloudy. I think you need a little Windex here. I'm just going to say up front, this is one of these episodes where I hope that it's not archived because a year from now, (laughs) people are going to look back and say, what in the heck were those guys smoking? These are their 2019 (laughs) predictions. Totally legal, whatever we're smoking. But that's not to say that anything we're about to predict for 2019 is going to be correct. But we thought we'd have a little bit of fun, talk a bit about how we could see another crazy year in BC politics playing out. Yeah, There's a ton of stuff that might happen. We'll put our names and our voices behind a few thoughts, and then you can hold us to account next year. You clearly haven't heard that anything that goes on the internet is there forever, so <laughs> it, will, it will be there for verifiable. Do you want to start with a prediction? Well, you know, it's the old, uh, the old saying, predict early and predict often. Yes. I think that's going to be how we get through this, but here, here's one of my predictions. So 2019, right. I think we are going to have a cabinet shuffle in the Oregon oh, government, okay. And I think we might see a minister or two pushed out and a couple ministers brought in and maybe a a reshuffling of priorities, uh, including possibly if Sheila Malcolmson wins the NDP by-election seat in Nanaimo, a spot for her at the cabinet and a couple people out. What do you think of that? Well, I'm going to have to agree with you on that. I'm going to say, yeah, I think you're going to be right on a cabinet shuffle there and maybe they would move a weaker performing minister out and maybe they move uh, an overperforming backbencher in. Here's one here's one name to watch for Bowen Ma. Mm-hmm. I think I think she'll make it. I remember when Horgan introduced his first cabinet, I went out on a limb and predicted that was a lead in my column that she was going to be in the cabinet and I walked into the cabinet announcement and everyone came out to me, "Oh, she's not there." I was like, "Oh, I felt I felt bad. She could have kicked a dog and made it into cabinet. Yeah. <laughs> that one's going to follow you around forever. I sadly, think. yeah, yeah, sadly it will. But uh, you know, I, I said to her, I got I felt I felt kind of embarrassed. I hope I didn't jinx you. I don't think you know. I think she'll make it in. So I I think that there will be a cabinet shuffle, and she's probably one to watch. And for. who could leave cabinet? I think some people speculate that if Sheila Malcolmson comes in, perhaps uh, Claire Trevena or someone else gets moved side. I think more likely is that Horgan grows his cabinet, so no one fails, you only fail upwards, uh, and uh, you get, oh, let's create another ministry over here and a junior secretary over there, you get a job, you get, and that's a lot easier than him demoting someone out of cabinet, it's just to grow cabinet to put everybody in. Well, poor old Claire Trevena gets a lot of flack and criticism, maybe for some good reason, but there's another old saying in politics, don't give the opposition any trophies, mm-hmm. you know, don't give them a head to hang on their wall and saying, look what, we, we brought a cabinet minister down. So yeah, maybe he does expect expand the cabinet ranks. I, I think a cabinet shuffle is a good one. I, right. got, I got one for you. Okay. All right. In 2019, on the ride-sharing file, uh, I don't think you will see any Uber or Lyft cars 
operating in British Columbia in 2019. Uh, you think they're going to take a pass of a, on these new NDP laws that come I do, effect? because when you speak to Uber and Lyft, which are the two biggest ride-sharing companies in the world, Uber number one by a long shot, they're very unhappy with this very prescriptive, highly bureaucratic uh, system, supply-managed system that the government has brought in. They want to manage ride-sharing very similar to the way taxis are managed now. I don't think Uber wants any part of it. The biggest stumbling gap for them is this cap on the maximum number of drivers on the road. Nowhere else is, almost nowhere else in the world is doing it that way. I think they're going to throw their hands up and possibly walk away. And you know what? For a lot of people in the NDP government, they won't admit this publicly, but in the back rooms, they'll be cheering and high-fiving and saying, great, we kept them out of here. Meanwhile, you got this Cater app Mm -hmm. that has been launched in partnership with the Vancouver Taxi Association, the government will point to that and say, look, we delivered you your ride-sharing. Yeah, but it's ride-sharing still controlled by the taxi industry. I hope I'm wrong on that one, but I think that's what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, you look at the way Cater is rolled out now, and you kind of wonder if this was the NDP's plan all along, sure. is to delay Uber and Lyft and the ride-sharing companies till next year because you can't get insurance, you can't get licensing, and then allow the taxis to bring in their own ride-hailing app on a monopoly for months to try and get a head start on pushing Uber and Lyft out. I don't know, but I, I think you I think you might be right on that one. The other side is maybe Uber and Lyft look at this market that is rife for for dominance. They look at Cater and they think, man, that app sucks and uh, no one's going to use it when they arrive in British Columbia from somewhere else. They're going to download Cater and log in and sign up. You're going to get Uber and Lyft. And maybe they just decide to eat the dirt that the NDP is feeding them. I don't know, but you, you could be right. If they take a pass, it's a huge hit on the NDP and the talking point for the next election. I'll toss another one in here. This one's out there. It's a little bit out there. Okay. It's kind of, what's way out there? Be tell. I say 2019, we get some type of resurrection of Christy Clark. Oh, really? Wow. Now, I don't know in what form. Huh. It could be federal. Could, I just think Christy Clark re-enters... I think she runs federally, maybe. I just think she re-enters the political arena in some way. Whether she runs for office or she emerges as heading of some type of group or a pack or a, you know I think I think she's itching to get back in the game and I don't think we've seen the last of Christy Clark. Well, you know what? She has been making some media appearances. She's done some interviews, she's done some TV. She was very prominent in talking about the LNG Canada project getting approval, not on her watch as she would have liked, but I think she called that the best day ever of her political career when the NDP approved it mm-hmm. after she had gone. It was kind of ironic that the best day of her career was after she had left politics, but I think that indicates that it it's in the blood for her. Yeah, I mean, she, she she is a politician through and through. Uh, one quote that always sticks in my mind with her was, um, you, you remember she left politics once before uh, when uh, when her son was young and she said she wanted to spend some more time with him and she wanted to take a time out from politics. And I, I predicted at the time, and many other people did too, that we hadn't seen the last of her. She, t- she ended up taking a job at one point as a talk show host at uh, CKNW Radio. And I always remember a quote where she said, this is a fun job. She was enjoying being a, a talk radio host, but she said nothing is better than politics. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it's something that she's been doing since the student politics. So you might be right on that mm-hmm. one, Rob. You never yeah. know. You never know. What's okay. on your list? Let me give you one here. I'll, this is a double whammy prediction for you. I will predict that N- federal NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will lose the Burnaby South by-election mm. coming up here in the new, shortly in the new year. But I will also predict that former NDP MP Sven Robinson will win in Burnaby North Seymour 
as he launches a comeback in federal politics. So I think <laughs> Singh is out, and Sven Robinson is back. Wow. Well, I mean, there's a lot. Of, uh, that would be the end of Singh's career if he doesn't win the Burnaby South by-election. Although he said the other day, even if he loses, he's going to hang on as NDP leader. Well, until someone knifes him in the back, <laughs> which is the, the traditional retirement plan of New Democrat uh, politicians. But yeah, So what do you think the NDP's chances are in the election? Are they reduced down to just a handful of seats? I think, I think they're in a world of hurt right now. I think if you take a look at the opinion polls, they haven't been going very well. They haven't been raising a lot of money. Uh, they lost a whole bunch of earlier by-elections. Now you got this one in a, in a seat, which I think is a tough spot for Singh. I, I don't think he has the high profile that he needs in that particular riding. I think some people might look at him as a parachute candidate who's coming in here and maybe doesn't understand the local issues. And uh, I, I just got a feeling that he's going to lose that by-election. I think it could be close. Maybe he squeaks through. But I, I think he will lose that one, and, it, and it's going to be some problems for the N, for the NDP. I think, ironically, Justin Trudeau and the Liberals hope that he wins mm. and hangs around and continues a kind of a arguably a weak leadership of the party because I think a, a strong NDP leader is a threat on the left to Justin Trudeau and the Liberals. As for Sven Robinson, I've known him for a long time. I've followed his career a long time. That's another guy who's got politics in the blood and has indicated that he's thinking about a comeback. I think that's a bit of a softer spot for him there in Burnaby North. And I, I think he wins in the uh, he runs in the federal election in, in the fall of 2019 and wins. And, and, and Sven Robinson's back and back uh, in BC politics. It'd be a fascinating federal election, won't it? Because yeah. I mean, you, you could have. I, the Liberals lose a little bit of ground in BC, maybe. I mean, they don't really have much more they could pick up, but lose a little bit to some ridings that maybe are traditionally conservative. They could pick those ridings back up. So it's going to be a great election, isn't it's it? It's going to be a ton of fun. Yeah, it yeah. really, it really is shaping up as a horse race between uh, Prime Minister uh, Justin Trudeau and uh, Conservative leader Andrew Scheer, very close in the polls right now. And British Columbia is going to be. A key battleground because the Liberals won a whole bunch of seats here last time with a little bit of Trudeau mania wave sweeping through. I think a lot of that is worn off. Maybe they hang, so, but he needs to hang on to those seats here in BC. Mm-hmm. So one of the one of the old predictions that before any kind of federal election in British Columbia, a time honored one, is to say most British Columbians by the time they turn their TV set on and all the polls are closed across Canada, it's already been decided and it's kind of uh, you know kind of a uh, not a very exciting election night to watch. This time, maybe British Columbia will play a key role in where those seats go and who forms government. I'm going to toss out another 2019 prediction here. Okay. So I say in the next year, and this year, we see an announcement of a public inquiry into money laundering. Hmm. Now, I know that there's been some pushback a little bit from the NDP that public inquiries, and we've heard Premier John Horgan say this, take a lot of time, cost a lot of money, they're incredibly complex, their recommendations are you know, complex, but I think this is the file that just keeps winning for the NDP. They have the Liberals, the previous Liberal government on the ropes for money laundering. They have federal issues involving prosecutions that are collapsing. They put aside a few millions of dollars, a few tens of millions to run an inquiry. You allow it to go on for years, and the little bits of information that come out of it you use as ammunition to hammer the Liberals right into the next election. And if the public inquiry produces a 17 volume final report that numbers into thousands of pages well and it takes years you're into the second term of an ndp government before they have to look at this mess and try to actually solve it so i just think that and you hear david eby kind of mentioning this in a little softer tone than the than the democrats originally said it and i could see them going with it 
not because they think it's going to solve the problem or going to be a good use of taxpayer dollars, but because it's a great political move to put their opponents on the defensive. There's certainly a lot of pressure on EB and this government to do precisely that. I mean, so many people are concerned about money laundering, the impact it's had on the housing market primarily. We've got this unaffordable um, real estate sector where people can't even afford to buy a home in the city where they grew up. And I think the NDP have done a, a, a very effective job in laying the blame for that at the feet of the previous Liberal government, and they certainly want to continue that. I'm going to disagree with you, though, on the public inquiry. I, I certainly think there's a great argument for it. I mean, if, if you look at the Charbonneau inquiry in Quebec, for example, that mm-hmm. was called to look into uh, public sector corruption in the construction industry, that cost millions of dollars. It was a very expensive inquiry, but it had subpoena powers. It was very effective. Mm-hmm. People went to jail. There were a lot of people who got charged. There were politicians that had to resign. There were politicians that were criminally charged. There are people that went behind bars. So a lot of people are looking at that precedent and saying, let's do that here. I mean, we need something like that, a very powerful commission with a focused mandate and subpoena powers to come here and put people on the witness stand, work with the police, and actually charge people criminally and put them in jail. I think there's a really strong, compelling argument to do that. The reason I don't think it's going to happen is it it comes down to some of the politics you talked about, because I think the the primary political objective of of this government on this file, and David Eby, the Attorney General, is the expert at it, is to slime the liberals with it, like blame the liberals. The the reason there's hundreds of people dying from drug overdoses, Mm -hmm. you can't afford a home, our casinos were used like a laundromat to, to launder criminal money, it's all because the liberals... And I think that's an effective message that EB has been able to prosecute. And I don't, but I don't think he needs a public inquiry to do it. Yep. I think if I think if he just continues to call uh, very sort of sort of smaller scale, tightly focused reviews, and we got two of them mm-hmm. coming up in 2019, right? Yeah, but the next one is dealing with horse racing, luxury vehicles, and you know how how <laughs> other um, parts of money laundering affect the economy. But I, I think you're right. They, they, there is a uh, you know a big win for the New Democrats in continuing to tie money laundering and the proceeds of crime into the housing uh, file because they're able yeah. to say to people, well, you know, the reason you can't get a house is because... Because of the liberals. But, but they yeah. also can continue to use that because we're going to see housing revenue for government through the property transfer tax. We're going to see that decline in coming budgets as the housing market cools. Yeah. And the NDP are going to be able to say, well, that, that was only, the liberals wouldn't tackle money laundering because they needed that money and they were unwilling to do what we're willing to do, which is turn off the tap and go after the criminals. So I, I, I agree. I don't think a public inquiry is good policy. I don't think that you can call or subpoena federal officials, federal prosecutors, the RCMP, some of the people you're really going to need to to get answers from. But it's good politics. And I'm sure there's someone in the NDP thinking the pros and cons of doing that this year and what they could get out of it. And we could be talking about it for the next 10 years. Yeah, I mean, they've already got uh, two two reports to look toward in 2019 on this file. Peter German, the guy who wrote the casino money laundering report. He's been tasked again now to write another report, this one looking at real estate. That'll be coming out early in the new year. The government has a separate report on uh, on money laundering from, a, from a, a different person heading up that report. So there's two major reports coming on money laundering in 2019 as the government continues to try and heap that blame, I think, for this thing on the liberals. All right. What else is on your list? You got any um, other? Yeah, sure. The amazing Kreskin over there. What's... Uh... <laughs> How about uh, the Trans Mountain Pipeline? I'm going to say that construction will restart on the Trans Mountain Pipeline in 2019. It'll be shovels in the ground again. Mm. Now, there is a theory on this that 
when the courts slammed the brakes on this pipeline, the John Horgan government was celebrating. They opposed that pipeline. The environmental movement were thrilled. They're, of course, opposed to the pipeline. But remember what the judge said. The judge said, look, I'm not, I'm not driving a stake through this thing forever. What I'm saying is you have to stop construction now, but there is a way for it to go forward. And what you have to do is you have to do a do-over on the consultation with First Nations, and you got to do a better job on measuring environmental in- impacts, particularly on killer whale populations very threatened off the B.C. coast. What Justin Trudeau has done is he not only bought that pipeline, which shows you that he's all in on the thing and he's going to try and do whatever he has to do to get it built, but he also started the do-over process. So he appointed a former Supreme Court of Canada justice to do a new round of consultations with First Nations. That is going on uh, underway already. So I think that indicates that this project will get going again and we'll have another big fight about it. The one ti- one thing, the timing, the timing element to watch for, though, is... Does Trudeau want to see this pipeline construction restarted before a federal election, Hmm. which happens in the fall? Especially when you consider the sort of unpredictable politics of it here in British Columbia, where, as we just discussed, there's many important seats he's got to win, right? Does he really want to roll the dice with that pipeline construction starting again, maybe losing some seats in British Columbia, particularly in Burnaby? Um... If, if there's some uh, political backlash to it. I still think, though, that Trudeau's gone all in on this pipeline. He, he's doing the consultation again. I'll, I'll predict that they start construction again. In what do you year. think the B.C. government does in response to that? I mean, they're going to continue to throw up court challenges, or do they just uh, capitulate at the point of... I think there's probably some more cards for the B.C. government to play, but they've probably played their strongest cards in their hands, so I'm, I'm not sure there's a whole lot more they can do. Horgan will certainly not budge off of his position that... The pipeline is is bad for the is too big a risk to the BC environment, so they'll continue to to oppose it. But I think at the end of the day, probably the rule of law will will trump that, and that uh, we'll see shovels in the ground. But as we've just seen over the last week, Rob, a smaller pipeline project on an LNG project in northern BC is look at the turmoil on this now with people getting arrested by the police. You could see more an even bigger scale protest around this pipeline if the construction restarts. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna toss another one out here. Okay, 2019, I say we see administrative job action by teachers. Oh, you stole classes. mine. I was gonna say that. <laughs> I beat you to it. <laughs> I'm not saying a strike. Let's be yeah. clear, because yeah. I I think the teachers who probably recognize the public sentiment in going on strike as their contract comes up and expires is not there. Hundreds of millions of dollars have been tossed into the public education system by the NDP. Uh, It's hard for parents to stomach the idea of another strike. But you clearly hear saber-rattling from the BCTF saying that they will not accept the government's bargaining mandate of a 2 2 and 2% wage increase over three years. All the other unions, basically, and the public sector unions have signed for that deal. uh, And the teachers want a whole bunch of other things uh, for their contracts. They want a higher starting wage. They want more hires, that, et cetera. It goes on and on. So I think there'll be a little bit of hardball from the NDP government on you need to accept this offer. I think there'll be a little bit of hardball back from the BCTF on no, we're not going to. And here's our refusal to do overtime or our refusal to do report cards or our refusal to do the, the steps they take short of an actual strike. And then we'll eventually get some sweetheart deal that's very similar, I think, to the the details we're learning about the government contract with the nurses, 
which uh, the BC Nurses Union, which looks like a 2-2-2 two, two, and two deal on paper, but comes with a fantastic amount of fine print and asterisks all over the place where there's bonuses and, you know, price increases that aren't factored in if certain targets aren't met and unlimited yeah. massage therapy and also <laughs> I think I think eventually you end up at that point for the teachers as well enough to not trigger the me too clauses and all the other contracts but so there's going to be a period of hardball on the teachers I think their contract expires June 30th that's right End so so it'll be a, a year of minor disruption in the classrooms as the two sides to duke it out. Yeah, the negotiations on a new contract for between the teachers union and the government uh, scheduled to start at the end of this month. And the president of the BCTF, Glenn Hansman, has said he's optimistic they'll get a deal before the end of June when the current contract expires. But uh, at the same time, he also lays out a, a lot of pricey demands if you think back to the big court case that the teachers' union won in the Supreme Court of Canada, rolling back all that contract stripping that the previous Liberal government did, that resulted in the government being forced to hire, go on a hiring frenzy and hiring new teachers. I think they hired something like 3,700 new teachers. That's a lot of new teachers that have been hired, and, and the union is thrilled with that. But when you talk to Hansman, he says, we need about 1,000 more can you believe that? A thousand more teachers, he says. Now, that includes around 300 and some odd vacancies that exist right now in the system. If you go on the government's website showing teacher vacancies around the province, there's around 300 vacancies. If Hey, if you want a job as a teacher right now, you can go and get a job as a teacher. Hansman says, on top of those, you need probably over 700 more, largely substitute teachers. So he is saying we've got a... a a real shortage of on-call teachers that's a real problem around, particularly around the regions, the north interior of the province, and they want all these uh, hundreds and hundreds of more substitute teachers hired. Well, that costs money, and they're all members of the union, which the union loves. They're all paying union dues, but it's going to cost the, the government a lot of money. So there are some uh, flashpoints here uh, where talks could break down. And remember, this is a militant union. Mm -hmm. you, you know, this is a union that goes on strike a lot. And it doesn't matter which party's in power. If you got a friendly NDP government in power that's backed by the labor movement, doesn't matter. They'll go on strike anyway. When the NDP were in power in the 1990s, teachers went on strike. Yeah, they legislated them back at one point, too. Sure, so. they had to. They yeah. had to. So, yeah, so maybe not a full-blown strike, but maybe some kind of job action, work to rule, uh, refusing to supervise kids, uh, sports teams, that kind of thing. We've seen that before. How about a prediction from the Internet? And I think this one's a talking point prediction. It comes from our... Uh, our friend uh, Norman Spector, a political uh, uh, veteran on Twitter, he is predicting in 2019, Sonia know the Green MLA, oh, yeah. defects to the NDP. Yeah. I, ah, that's a tough one. I mean, the the argument there, and for people who believe that would happen, is that the riding that she's in, the, the Cowichan Valley riding, um, is traditionally a New Democrat riding. She may have trouble as a Green winning it when the NDP coalesces back together. They imploded in 2017 in that riding. The New Democrats were infighting, and they had the Riding Association president quit, and they had these all sorts of accusations of, um, you know, uh, problems with the candidacies. And the Greens came and took the seat for Sonia Furstenau. She's very popular. She has a, a big local presence. She's had a high presence in the media since then as part of everything that's played out and the power-sharing deal and the negotiations. I, I mean, I, I tend to think she could carry the riding as a green. 
might not yeah. be easy, yeah. but there's a, there is a thought out there that maybe she defects to the NDP because she's more of a new Democrat than she ever was a Green anyways. I, I, think it's I, a, I don't know. I think it's a really interesting prediction, and, and, and it might be right. She certainly seems very friendly with this government, and anytime you see her doing a, a news conference with uh, an NDP cabinet minister, which she's done in the past, you'll see a lot of kind of backslapping and that kind of thing. She seems very comfortable uh, with this government. And she might be, look, I also think she's ambitious and think she's, maybe she's cut out for something bigger, a cabinet post or maybe more. So I, I think that might, I, I think it's certainly probably in the back of her mind. Uh, if she remains with the Green Party, especially now that they don't have proportional representation after the referendum failed, she's consigned to permanent opposition. If she, if she moves over to the NDP and she can convince a lot of her supporters in that riding to go along with her, she's personally popular there, then I think she sees a bigger career for herself in politics. Could be true. And I Could guess it right. ties into any speculation you might have in 2019 about Weaver, Andrew Weaver, the Green Leader's political future. Is he going to run again in the next election, whenever that is? Does he have to make up think? his mind? I, I think I, one more. I, you know what? I, I think you're probably right. I yeah. had up until very recently thought he wouldn't. I mean, he's been a big proponent of term limits for MLAs. You don't want to stick around here so long. You lose touch, and this becomes your career, and you're a, yeah. a professional politician. But um, it's He possible. likes it, though. <laughs> he, he's really good at it, and he yeah. likes it. And uh, if he if he decides not to run again, then maybe that gives Sonia First Snow the opening to become leader of the Green Party oh. and shape it in her own yeah. fashion without returning to the NDP. But you never know. Do you one, have any more, one uh, more? amazing Kreskin over there? Okay. Well, we've got this little by-election coming oh, up in Nanaimo. Oh, by-election. Yeah. Um, I'll go out way out on a limb and say the NDP will win. <laughs> I gotta, what do you think? I agree with you there. I think my big question is... I the, think it will be could be closer than we think, though. Yeah. My question is on the Greens in that yeah. riding. And I think they have a very good candidate yeah. in the, the daughter of Frank and A, Michelle Nay. But... They doubled their vote in 2017 compared to 2013 in terms of the percentage of the vote. They had 20% of the popular vote in the last election, 10 in the previous one. I see them losing ground in the Nanaimo by-election. I don't see them holding that. Mm. I think the Liberals and the NDP duke it out, and the NDP win it, and uh, there will be some internal musing amongst the Greens on what exactly is going on. They have a lot at stake, and you see Andrew Weaver on Twitter now attacking the NDP. He went on a big rant against uh, Sheila Malcolmson on Twitter. Um, accusing her of causing a by-election by resigning her federal seat to run for the NDP. And, yeah. and the Greens need to put their elbows up and prove that voters would side with them uh, rather than just voting for a new Democrat MLA. And I think the Greens might be disappointed in their performance in the by-election may cause a little bit of internal hand-wringing when they realize they couldn't even hold their vote from the last election. That's okay. my prediction. We're both wimping out and saying the NDP are going <laughs> to win a by-election. They're supposed to win. So what, one final one. Will there be an election in 2019? Do you want to make a prediction on that? Uh, I'm going to... Uh, I... Here's my prediction. This is a right. little bit of a weasel out, but oh no, this is a tiny weasel out. All right, I'm going to say that we hear that we get the reason for a 2020 election oh. in 2019. Oh. So the reason for that election, we're going to get the election call in 2020. But whatever it is that the NDP wants to run on, whatever they're going to bring their themselves down on, essentially, uh, we're going to hear in 2019. Whether that's 
you know, funding for renters or housing or what, whatever they they feel they can go to the electorate on. This is the year that they bring it out. They stress test the Greens. They push them around, and they perhaps themselves set that up for a 2020 election. That's okay. My- well, the next scheduled election is 2021 in the fall of 2020. Yeah, that's so. a long time from now. So I will predict there will be no election in British Columbia in 2019. Again, taking the wimpy wimpy way out there, you know. Uh, but no election in 2019. But I think we this government will not go full term. We won't be going to October 2021 before British Columbians go back to the polls. I think it'll be earlier than that. Yeah. Well, it's going to be a busy year, Smitty. For We're sure. going to have a ton of stuff to talk about. Yep. We'll, we'll be in your ear holes on the podcast every <laughs> week. So subscribe on your favorite podcasting device. Uh, check us out both on Twitter. We tweet out the links and the RSS feeds and all of that sort of stuff. And uh, we will see you next week with more on uh, the podcast. Sounds good. See you then. Mm-hmm.